Money Rules or Money Rules. Here at Hold My Wealth, we are all about empowering financial success in our community of listeners. We hope you find today's topic both informative and helpful. Hi, and welcome back to the Help My Wealth Money Rules or Money Rules podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Logan, and today I have with me Hamish Ferguson. Hamish, thank you for coming. You're welcome. Hamish is a financial planner and a mortgage broker, and he's actually one of the people that helped found Help My Wealth, and also uh, you wrote some of the learning modules in regards to that. Mm, absolutely. So tell me, Hamish, how has your week been? Ah, look, it's been great. I um, uh, I was supposed to go to a conference this week, but I decided to stay behind, and it's been very productive. I've got a few of those jobs out of the way that might not have got done otherwise. I was going to say that's not always a bad thing, is it? No, it's not. So tell us, Hamish, uh, you know, for those that, that aren't aware, your background, you, you started in mortgage broking how long ago? Uh, yeah, 2001, so yeah, a bit over 20 years ago now. Right. And then what led you from mortgage broking into financial planning? Yeah, so I... I, I I had a few financial planners that I'd sort of known. I had mm-hmm. my own financial planner. And um, I guess I found when I started to get clients that were asking me, what do they do next? You know, mm-hmm. They've got the home um, and they needed some more guidance. And as a mortgage broker, we had to be a little bit careful with what we could recommend and talk about. And so I, I started referring to financial advisors. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess what I found was that um, most of them had a, a probably a different style or a different um, approach to the way I was really hoping my clients would get looked after. Mm-hmm. None of them were bad. It was mm-hmm. just different. And, uh, and so I just sort of woke up one day and went, well, how, how how hard can this be? I'll just get qualified myself. Yeah, why not? So it's got a situation here. You've got, um, you know, business is growing. You've got a few people now doing, you know, mortgage broking. Uh, you're taking over the financial planning side of it. Uh, at what point did it lead you from there to this idea of actually, um, you know, getting Help My Wealth off the ground and, and actually creating, a, um, you know, a, a niche there for people that that didn't need financial planning yet um, but, but, you know, being left to their own devices would would not be helpful for them. So, you know, what's interesting is, and I don't know how many financial planners feel this way, but when you get into financial planning, you think it's all going to be about, you know, um, investment and helping the clients and just taking those steps. And you think everyone needs a financial planner. Um, And then as you get in there and you realise, well, wait a second, to do this job well, yeah, you have to be a little bit um, careful with this because, you know, not everyone does um, need that, that, that heavy... Uh, I guess, process and, and um, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of here? They just don't need that 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 over-the-top financial service. Right, yeah, so. I mean, I guess for most financial planners, you, you know, you're looking at where's the person now, where's their retirement, you know, what funds do they have available, uh, what are you going to invest in, you know, which, which, which class of investment are you going to be using? And so it's a very in-depth process. I mean, you end up with a, I mean, how many page document do you get? 40, 50 page document oh, at the yeah, end? Add a few pages, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, you're paying for that service though, aren't you? I mean, it's not a free service. So you're expecting to get a really robust um, uh, plan of where you're going to be heading. 
And you don't want to go down that path with a client unless you're actually going to meet their expectations. That's and right. It's the right level of service for that person. That's right. Um, so, yeah, so what I found was as I got into financial planning and, and this this idea of help my wealth, I guess, came over a period of time where I thought, ah, okay, there's 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 a gap in the middle here mm. between what a mortgage broker does and what a financial planner does. Mm. And I've I've spent a long time trying to fight against the system to actually enable myself to be able to deliver that service. That, that actually filled that gap. Yeah, and I think we're, we've discussed this many times before. You know, someone comes along, uh, you know, thinking the mortgage broking world and they've got their deposit together, they've got, you know, two two jobs, they've been in those jobs for a while, everything's stable, they've got savings. It's an easy process. You know, how much money do you want? Yes, great. Yes, bank will accept that. Right, go find a house. Mm. Um, and then in the in the financial planning area, you know, someone comes along, like okay, I'm retiring in, in 20 years. Here's all the you know investments and, and cash and so forth I've got. I'm, I'm more than happy to pay a couple of grand for you to give me a uh, plan for the future because that's where I'm at. Great, nice and easy process. But then you have someone come along who, for instance, if we go into the mortgage broking world, who doesn't have their deposit saved or maybe their debt level is just a little bit too high to, to be able to service that loan you know, correctly, uh, or they've got other issues and other expectations that need to be adjusted in regards to being able to achieve that goal. Now, that person is probably not going to be right for a financial planner, are they? Absolutely. Um, and, and and this is where it, it's it's this double-edged sword because you get that type of client that it's pretty easy that they're not ready for a financial planner yet. That mm. There's a need there, but... You know, how do you justify um, charging or asking somebody to pay further money when they're trying to get on top of those things, all right? Yep. So, um, but then, you know, what's interesting is that, it, and is, even as a mortgage broker, there's been lots of people that we've looked over after over the years where just because you can do something doesn't mean you should, mm. all right? So, but as a mortgage broker, we're not really trained to answer that question, all right? Mm. And the whole industry is not really geared around it. So, so you know, where's that education and and um, you know, capacity to be able to help people make the right decisions at the right time. Yes, yes. So, look, you know, Help My Wealth came came from that idea and then we sat down and went, well, okay, well, what, is, what does somebody need to be able to achieve their goals? So to start off with, you've got to get your budget under control. You've got to get cash flow and budget under control. So, you know, we provided that, that AI app so that you can actually um, get a live feed from your bank feed, set your budget up, but then you can actually see on a day-to-day basis, am I achieving my budget or not? Because what I find for a lot of people who use a spreadsheet or something else in regards to their budget is maybe maybe once a month I'll look at it and see whether or not they have gone over or under their spend. But the main thing I find is that people, um, they like to, to, maybe not lie to themselves is the right word, but they like to trick themselves into believing that they're not actually spending as much on shopping or eating out or coffees or shoes or, you know, buying widgets, whatever it is for them. Mm-hmm. And, and that, um, that app actually, you know, makes that really effective, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's surprising how many times you sit in front of a couple and they, they load it all up and mm. get, and start getting a little bit of information. And that is one of the benefits of it is that it, is that it pr- provides a snapshot that's reasonably accurate, mm. you know, literally within minutes. Mm. Um, so, and, uh, and then, but then you get this, 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 this almost pause from clients where they go, Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is what's going on. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that, um, you know, you've said before, you're not here to, to force someone to do a budget that you want. The concept is, is that they get information and then they can decide their own budget. 
So if they recognise that they're spending, you know, $500 a week on groceries rather than the 400 they assumed, that's now their choice to either increase their budget or decrease their spending. Yeah, so look, I, 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 I haven't exhaustively looked at all of the other, you know, budgeting services that are out there, but mm. I, I do remember one key um, client that came to me and they were struggling and they said to me, oh, Hamish, we've tried all of these other programs and none of them work, you know, don't go there. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I just said to them, okay, look, you know, I'll, I'll – do this one for, for free with you if you like because I can really see that this is here, mm. this, this is needed. And it was at the end they said, okay, I can tell you exactly why yours is different, right, and this is, this, this is working for us. And it's because you centred everything on what's important to us mm. and you didn't tell us how to run our own budget. You know, you let mm. us come up with the numbers ourselves. Yeah. And, and, you know, inherently most of us know, you know, you, you won't do something anywhere near as motivated if it's not important to you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and look, so, okay, so we've got Help My Wealth comes up, we've got the budgeting stuff under control, and then, you know, you and I were discussing that, you know, from a financial literacy point of view, that um, especially younger Australians, but Australians in general, often don't have a great grasp of, of you know, financial planning or investments or cash flow or budgeting or where they can go. So, you know, how did that whole idea come about in regards to the actual financial literacy program? Yeah, so I guess it starts with, um, I guess, almost a fact that we're just mm. not taught about money at school. No. Um, so, and and our, our parents quite often, because they weren't really taught, you know, they, yeah. they don't really, um, you know, it doesn't seem like that's a really common thing. No. And as teenagers, we probably don't listen very well. Um, and so, you know, so it starts with we don't have that knowledge, right? So then the second part of that is, well, what, what do people want these days? You mm. know, so, you know, I've got a couple of kids that, the thought of going to uni and reading 400 page books and doing theses and, and all the rest of it, it's just too much. Like mm-hmm. I think our capacity to really process large amounts of information is reduced over the years. So we needed a, a, um, a way of being putting out information that, that was easy to process and digest. Um, but, you know, we also needed to make sure that it actually helped with the efficiency. So we want to keep the costs down on this So yeah. because it's not financial advice. Yeah. Um, so it has to be cost effective. It has to be simple. And, 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 and thirdly, it has to be delivered by people that actually know what they're talking about. Right? Yeah. So I might have a bit of a grasp of psychology and personalities and all the rest of it, but I'm not an expert. I shouldn't mm. be telling people um, things about psychology. All right. So, we've got to get people to actually do this stuff that know how to do it well. So, so tell me, what are, what are the sort of professionals that you end up bringing in to help my wealth and, and how did that come about? Um, so I, uh, the first one I actually realised was, um, it was it was around psychology. It was mm-hmm. it was the fact that, you know, whilst finance is, is about maths, um, it's our personalities, it's our, our stories, it's how we've grown up that so much impact how we actually um, deal with money. And so it was the psychology... It was the psychology aspect of this that was really, really important. Um, so I was working on a project with another lady who was a money coach as well, and I was fascinated by what's that that journey. Mm. And so 
you know, that conversation led to her coming on board as a professional as well because, again, um, you know, once you get the psychology right, then actually understanding how that relates to money and that money coaching type thing um, is is really important as well. So that's part of what we do. Um, and then what I realised is people sort of need these principles to be able to work through. So, you know, understanding the basics of investments, understanding how super works, you know, mm. what's the stock market, you know, um, you know, that was all part of it. And then obviously last but not least is, is you know, the budgeting aspect of it is actually mm. teaching people um, to come up with an effective way of managing their money that doesn't take hours. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head there when you talked about it not being taught in schools. So I know when I was at school and I did economics, um, it was very big picture. You know, it was very macro. It was about, you know, the Australian economy and, and, and what the government does and the levers they use and, and all that sort of stuff and rules and regulations. It wasn't, hey, uh, if you want to get a house deposit, this is what you have to do. Mm. You know, hey, if the Reserve Bank changes the interest rate, this is how they change it, this is why they change it, and this is how it will impact, you know, your day-to-day um payments you know? yeah well look and look nothing gets the education system because you know it's a very controlled environment sure. schools you know they, they don't have the time to actually teach that and and I'm sure most of us would um, I guess re- reflect on our schooling and it, it's very much the subjects you do are very much around that next step which is about university or mm-hmm. or trade or whatever it's it's about getting a job it's not it's not about running life yeah um, so so yeah it, look it is a big problem. Look, we've discussed this before, but the um, you know Melbourne um, Institute that they produced that Hilda survey, and that really looked at the financial literacy of, of young people. Were you surprised by some of the results that came out with that? No, not really. I think um, you know my reflections on 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 youth and what's important to them is typically it's it's not money. Mm. Um, you know they're they're you know I, I think I read a report that talked about that it's actually our youth that have the most amount of disposable income. Mm. All right. So, um, but typically when you've got more money than you need then you don't put time into managing that and really coming up with systems. It's only later on in life when you start having a family or or have to start paying rent and things like that that it starts becoming quite significant. So, look, I think what's really important to note here is that so the Hilda survey showed that, that those under 25 are the least literate, um, financially speaking, in Australia, mm. uh, particularly males, um, you know, even more so than females. But... What's interesting to note, I think, is that um, it's not saying that those under 25 are, are, are stupider than those over 35 or that they just haven't cared because when people that are 35 or 45, when they were 25, I think they also were the most illiterate when it came to finances because you've had to teach yourself. So if you're, you know, 35, you've had an extra 10 years to learn about finances and learn about money. If you're 45, you've had an extra 20 years to learn about money and finance. You've sort of, you've had to go that direction. Mm. So I don't think it's so much about, oh, you know, young people aren't understanding finances and older people understand it better. I just think that over time, we actually educate ourselves. And, you know, that's the one of the beauties that Help My Wealth have here is we're saying, okay, hang on, here's a program that you can actually go through and get all those basis, you know, basic understanding for financial literacy. So I, I read somewhere else that um, when we're young, we want fame and fortune. Yeah. All right. So so obviously Help My Wealth is 
probably a little bit more around the fortune than the fame, right? Yep. So, um, so we want the fortune. Um, we don't really know how to get it. Mm. And these days, you know, it's quite often we're looking to YouTube and 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 online to be able to find these 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 ideas that we come up with. So, but I guess I want to re- go back to reinforce that we we typically only put time and energy into things when they become pressure points. Yes. So, you know, so we've all had those pressure points in life where, you know, hey, I've left home, now I've got to pay rent and now I have to start focusing on money, mm. right? So, but that doesn't mean it's a pressure point because if I'm earning enough, then I just do life, Yeah. right? So it's only when I get into either bad habits or my circumstances change that all of a sudden I go, oh, so money doesn't grow on trees. I have mm. to now start thinking about, how I allocate this money and what do I do it for? So it, it, it really comes back to that what's important to you at that stage of life. And I think financial literacy is about saying, hey, we've got to try and um, educate people that financial literacy should be taught earlier mm. so that we've got the right habits and skills for when we get older. Yeah, yeah. And so, look, if we go back to you being a financial planner, uh, you know, um, currently they say that the statistics about 30% of people use financial planning, uh, but, you know, it's quite a large majority of people that agree that financial advice is important. So, you know, at what point did you turn around and go, well, hang on a second, um, I need to provide this, this you know, other avenue through Help My Wealth that people can actually get financial planning? Because I know that for you, um, caring for your clients and actually doing being an advocate for them is is you know really high on your priority list. Mm. But do you think it's just a matter of cost as to why there's so many people um, agree that financial planning is important, but then there's only thirty percent that actually go ahead with it? Is it just a cost thing? Do you think? Uh, look, I mean, the industry has made some mistakes. Yep. All right. So I definitely think that, um, you know, from a, a trust perspective, um, financial advice as an industry has had some challenges. All yeah. right. So, um, but in all honesty, as part of my journey, the Royal Commission that happened, you know, four or five years ago now um, was a big part of this because mm. we were able to deliver advice, I'd say, fairly affordable back then. All right. Yep. But the Royal Commission really changed that. And I think the average advisor probably had to triple their fees during that time. So it was actually having a lot of conversations with a lot of people to say, hey, um, I don't mind if you stop using me, but I can't do it for this this price anymore. That really made it, I guess it really hit me in the face that mm. this is a big issue. Right. So do you want to just explain that to people? Because I don't think the average person understands that. So, uh, you know, pre the Royal Commission, post the Royal Commission, why did your prices have to change? What actually occurred in the Royal Commission to, to make it uh, not feasible for you to give, you know, easy, cheap and good advice? So the process and depth of how advice comes about changed. Mm. So I would... Uh, uh, my guess is is that an advice document might have taken us six to eight hours prior to um, the Royal Commission and it jumped to about 18 to 20 hours afterwards. So it was really around more the Royal Commission saying, right, if you're going to be a financial planner and you're going to keep your licence and you're going to charge for this fee, uh, we need to have a standard. Yep. 
And the problem was is that, you know, there was there was prior to that, there was a lot of good financial planners out there that were doing the right thing for people and being able to give a, a lower level of advice but at a very cheap, reasonable cost uh, and help people out. And then they would have had their 10-year, 20-year retirement, you know, 85-page document that would have been more expensive. But the Royal Commission came in and went, no. Mm. From now on, you can only provide this standard, this level of advice, yep. and anything below that is now not not allowed. Yep. And and one of the other big things that happened was that we had to move from, um, if you were a client of mine, I didn't have to do an advice document for you every year. Yeah. I could have said, look, we don't really need to do anything. There's no changes yep. here. Let's yep. just you're all good. Year. You're the same. You're in the same job, same position. Yep. You know. So where you know the Royal Commission came out and said, no, no, no. If you if you're paying an ongoing fee, you must get an advice document every twelve months. Yeah. So so you take the the complexity of the advice and the frequency of the advice into consideration, and that's where the the three to four times multiple in cost comes from. Yeah. Um, so so the government, you know, and look as we speak, the government's now considering changing some of those rules and actually mm. relaxing them a little bit, which it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, but, yeah, it was it was really that having to say to a lot of people, I can't look after you anymore, Yeah. all right? So really the pendulum swung. I mean, the government had a situation where it was unregulated. Mm. Financial planners could pretty much do whatever they wanted to do and you just had to find one that you trusted and, and felt was right. Then the pendulum swung right back mm. and they've gone, no, from now on, this is the level you have to do. You yes. can't go below it and, and then off you go. Yes, and I think the reason why I bring that up is because a lot of people's trust in regards to financial planning um, was damaged pre that Royal Commission, you know, because there were people out there that were, you know, charging uh, a large fee and giving pretty much no robust or good advice at all, weren't they? Uh, look, there were there are. There have been a lot of issues to work through, all right? Mm. So, you know, you had some of the big banks that were charging advice to um, clients that were no longer with us. And, yes. And, uh, you know, and there's been some classic cases. Well, the people that were already retired. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So so there's been, there, there was a lot of examples, all right? Mm. So, um, I mean, look, you can get into the detail and understand where those problems lay. And it wasn't universal. It was mm. in probably specific areas within the financial advice industry. But ultimately, the industry needed more attention, yep. right? So I don't begrudge the industry for going that way. It's just a shame that, you know, how heavy the, the I guess, the, um, the the hand of the government's been in that process. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I guess to, to sum that up, you, you agree it was a good thing? Yep. Yeah, and it's created a much more robust and and stronger industry from a financial planning point of view. Oh, absolutely! All yeah. right, so I um, it's been come with some pain, but I definitely think the industry is in a much stronger place moving forward now. Yep. Um, so you know the the affordability thing is 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 being worked on, um, but it's still an issue. Yep. Um, you know, which in a sense I still see help my wealth as being a really um, you know, you know, powerful tool for the right person because it just um. Uh, it delivers in that gap still, all right. Yeah. So, but yeah, the, the industry itself is 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 much cleaner and um, and uh, and reliable, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, today. yeah. Well, I mean, essentially, help my wealth is 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 where it's coming from is looking after those clients that you can no longer look after. Mm, you know, absolutely. the ones that are actually you know, fall, falling away, mm. uh, and that way you can go. Well, hang on, I can actually provide a service for them here uh, without it affecting the financial planning you know, standard and, and, and what you have to do there. Correct. Yeah, yeah. 
So look, um, uh, you know, when you look at investment classes and things like that, do you, would you agree it's probably one of the most um, misunderstood ideas in Australia? Yeah, yeah. I guess um, when you say misunderstood, I think that people um, don't just don't understand why you need to separate them out. Mm. All right. So um, investing is investing, is Hamish. You know? Yeah. Um, and so it's it's um, really understanding how a different different types of investments work. Yep. When you use them, when you don't. Yep. Um, is um, it, there's a lot more to it than possibly what the average person thinks. Yeah. And I think if you say to someone, oh, look, do you understand, uh, you know, what a share is, what a bond is, what, you know, property investment is, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. But if you start getting into it, why would you choose one or the other? Why, why would you go property this time and, and go shares that time? You know, uh, why would you choose, you know, a, a, an investment bond compared to a, a share, um, you know, or a managed fund? That, that, the intricacies of that, I, I don't think most people have a good concept around. No, and look, you know, and and a lot of people don't. They they make a decision, and sometimes the decision doesn't doesn't work for them. Mm. And they say it's the investment. Mm. Right? What I would um, say research shows is that it's it's typically not the investment. It's the choice we made by picking the wrong investment at the wrong time. Yeah, uh, look, I think property is a great example. That's my background. And uh, when someone comes to me and says, oh, I'm, I'm worried about, you know, my property investment, I, I feel as though the equity is not going to grow. And, and you find that it's only been one or two years since they purchased it. You know, you've got to have that conversation and go, you do realise that property is a is a 10-year minimum type commitment, do you know? Uh, if you want to do less than 10 years, you probably would have been better going for like a managed fund mm-hmm. where it's really, you know, liquid and someone can actually pull that money out quite quickly or move it around or be able to you know do what they want to do with it whereas you know with property that's that's not the sort of class that it is and and even then like you know we're all used to the six o'clock news where we we possibly see the stock market and graphs come up with the the ups and downs that go on on that um but even understanding that you know property tends to behave differently like that like you know i think normally i call it the step graph because it it has typically a long flat period which tests patience and 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 people going oh you know is this going to work all right so but it's a natural part of what that investment class does Mm. so you know the principles around help my wealth are that if we can teach those principles about how to look at these investments Mm. right then what it means is when they go and see the right professional they've already got a head start yeah. Right. And, and you know, one of the other, I guess, principles that, you know, we've been, um, I guess, taught over the years is that, you know, if you, no matter how good or well-intended your advisor is, if you don't understand the strategy that's being put in place, if you don't have the right level of education or literacy around that, then it creates the wrong expectations and has a much greater chance that everything will fall apart at some point down the track. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, from your experience and, and, and the clients that you've had, um, I mean, what are some of the stories of, of, of people who have um, either either made very fortuitous um, decisions that they probably didn't actually have a, you know, an understanding of, of what they were doing uh, versus those that, you know, same thing, didn't have an understanding but actually caused themselves quite a lot of pain? Have you seen that happen quite often? 
Uh, yeah, look, um, I'm probably going to find it easier to find the painful ones than the, the good ones at the moment. Yeah. But, you know, two to come at mind at the moment is, um, you know, I had a, a, a gentleman and a really basic example, he said to me um, when we first caught up, oh, don't ever tell me to invest in property. Mm. Right? And I said, oh, do you mind me asking why? And he said, well, um, because we rented out, uh, we had a rental property earlier on and, and it just didn't work. So again, you know, tell me more about that. And he said, well, you know, it was our home. We'd moved out of it mm. and um, and moved into a different place. And uh, we rented out our home for a couple of years and it just just was a nightmare. Um, and so I said to him, well, you know, how do you measure that? You know, how do you determine that that was a nightmare? Um, so without sort of going through the whole conversation, what sort of came to pass was that they'd loved that home. There'd been a lot of emotional content. Yes. They'd had the debt structure all around the wrong way. Mm. So they weren't getting any tax effectiveness mm. and they had this emotional connection to the property. And, of course, nobody had really educated them on the fact that tenants typically won't look after your property as well as what you do. Mm. Um, so they've walked into the property two years later, seen the damage that was done, had all of this emotion around it because they probably hadn't been prepared in the right place about how to approach that, just sold the property. Right, and sold it for less than what the bank had valued it at when they first turned it into a rental property. Mm. So it, that created all of those. So they didn't hold it for the right length of time. They didn't. Um, it wasn't ever really treated as an investment, and 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 so their whole psychology again, it's that psychology thing was wrong in terms of how they approached the investment. Yeah. Um, so you know, probably another example is. Um, had a gentleman and around, uh, you know, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, mm. you know, just didn't understand it, got on, made a few good decisions. It seemed to be going really well for him. It seemed like he had the right, I guess, frame of mind for how it went, um, but probably stopped following the principle, which is around speculation and investment yeah. and um, let it become too large a proportion of, of his portfolio. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, at the date where, doing this, which is, you know, October 22. There's been a big correction this year on the, mm. in the crypto market and so that affected him quite a lot. Um, and, um, you know, and lovely guy, intelligent guy, um, just it probably um, not really kept in line with what good solid principles are in terms of how to run his portfolio. I think that point you bring up about speculation is, is, is really important because, um, it's amazing how when you sit someone down and actually talk through that concept and say um, what you're wanting to do, being crypto or, or whatever else, has a really high uh, return rate. If it has a really high return rate, probably has a really high risk. Mm. So here's the question. I've got no, no problem with you going into it, but are you willing to lose all of those funds? If you are, great. That is a good speculation. You go for it. But if you have your whole life savings in it, it's probably not the right place for a for a risky speculation because you're either going to be one of those people that go, oh, I went into, in this situation, yeah, crypto and I made an absolute fortune. Or <laughs> you're going to be the one that says you, there's only going to be two stories here, a good or a bad. Mm. And um, again, with my background in, in real estate, I, I find that one frustrating when I hear about people that, you know, I had nothing, I was broke, uh, I just, you know, had a part-time job and now I have 10 houses and it's worth, you know, $15 million and I've got all these rentals coming in and I'm going, the only way that that occurred Mm. was that you had to put yourself so far out in the wind. Do you know what I mean? And 
and it had to go right every time. Mm. I guarantee you there is another 10 people with that same story but the reverse, mm. you know, where I, I tried to do it. I, I read the, you know, 10 properties in 10 weeks book <laughs> and, and, it just didn't, and it just didn't occur. So I think understanding speculation is so important because, we, you know, we want people to, to take the money that they've earned Let's face it; it's hard-earned money. You know, it's not like it's been given to us, and actually be able to keep it and and grow it, not not lose it on something frivolous. And it's really hard today because um, information is just so easy to get. Yes, and and everybody generally will only tell you their positive stories. Oh, 100%. Um, so so actually, and it's not that they're not true. It's not that mm. the person is not being um, truthful in a way, but, you know, the avoidance of not balancing that story with the right information can be quite damaging. Yeah, well, let's face it, we all do it. Mm. You know, even if we go back to that concept of budgeting like we talked about, you know, Hamish, how much do you spend on shoes in a year? Mm. It's not until you actually look at the reality of that, that you realise you spend a lot more than what you thought you did. Mm. You know, how much do you spend on coffees uh, you know, per week? Oh, I don't have more than one or two coffees a week. I don't think I've had a client yet that I've done that budgeting with and actually looked at the at the actual spend that they haven't gone, ooh, mm. <laughs> that's more than what I thought. So, I mean, we do it to ourselves on a day-to-day basis. So, of course, when it comes to large speculations and large investments, we're going to do it, you know, in that situation as well. Uh, I mean, the other one is, is is people's value of their house. You know, how much is your house worth? Oh, it's definitely less, what, 1.2 million. Mm. And you're going, I don't. I don't think it is. <laughs> but but people always usually always overvalue what they what they you know perceive to be the value of their own property or their own their own lives. Yeah, you know what's interesting though, and just to take that last example that you've got. So, you know, let's say you bought a house for 700 grand, mm. right? And it was worth 1.2 today. Mm. And and let's say whether it's 1.1, 1.2 doesn't really matter. Mm. So, you you say it in a way that you know it looks like you've made half a million dollars. Mm. Right? So, um, but it's the missing information that says I spent three hundred thousand dollars on renovations on that property over that period of time as well. That's right. That that is that is critical for balancing that story. Yep. And if it's an investment, uh, how much of that is actually going to be taken in tax? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you're going to compare that to other investment options, you need to actually look at those things as well. What was the what was the cost of the repairs? Because mm-hmm. in managed funds, there's no repair costs. Yeah. Do you know what's the cost of the capital gains compared to if I had invested, you know, some certain amount of money in 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 um, you know a managed fund or mm-hmm. in shares, uh, and the reverse is that as, as as well. You know, I mean, you can take a, a deposit and you can leverage that with property to get a uh, you know a really good loan, and you can do that with shares as well. But the average person probably wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So it's about going well. Okay, let's be realistic. You know, how much money would have I invested in shares? I wouldn't have invested. You know, three hundred thousand. I would have invested my my fifty. Mm. I wasn't going to take that fifty and and get a loan for three hundred. So it's really important that diff, whichever way you're going, when you're comparing it, try and get it back to apples and apples rather than going. I'm comparing apples with watermelons here and coming yeah. up with oranges. That is great, but learning to interpret it is really important. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I still remember. Uh, a guy said to me, oh, look, I'm going to buy an investment property in a particular area. And I said, okay, what's the area? And he told me, and I can't remember what it was now, and uh, he said, oh, it's, it's, it's experiencing 20% growth. Mm. 
And I went, wow, really? You know, I just couldn't get my head around it. Um, but what I realised was that it, it was an area with a lot of new estates, mm. right? So everyone had bought blocks of land, right, and then they'd put con- homes on it. So they've almost doubled the value of the property, right? And then five years later, people start selling it. So it looks like in that area it's had amazing growth. Mm. Um, but my gut feeling is the growth in that area was actually not as strong as what they were talking about because the median price or the way domain presents the information, it just didn't reflect all the money that was being poured into the area from a construction point of view. No, no. When you go and spend $600,000 on building the house, yeah. you know, and, and they come back and say, oh, your house has got 20% growth. Well, you, you you could be under. That's right. <laughs> under the cost of the land and the, and the build. Yeah. Yeah. So, so look, I, I wanted to also ask you about, um, you know, mentoring and coaching. I mean, you've, you've talked before about the fact that, um, uh, you know, you believe people should get good financial advice. They should get good advice in general. Um, and, and you, you're quite strong on the idea of coaching and, and mentoring, but have you yourself, you know, had coaches and mentors? Do you still have coaches and mentors that you, that you deal with? Yeah, no, I do. I've, um, um, I've actually had the one uh, mentor for, oh gosh, I'm, I'm guessing 12 to 13 years now, maybe yeah. even a bit longer than that. And, uh, and you know, I've enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I think the the challenge is, is that we've not got to look at mentoring in a short time frame and say, mm. oh, did I get value out of today's meeting? But it's, mm. it's, it's really realizing that it's a long-term thing and you, you might have a couple of meetings that probably feel like they're a bit flat and then you could have one or two meetings that just you just get so much of it it's not funny um, and it's it's typically people measure advice by the the positive decisions that are made yeah. all right so oh, my coach helped me make a hundred grand all right mm. so now that's great um, but what we don't tend to do is think about how many mistakes the mentor or the advisor has helped to prevent. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and and that's uh, that can sometimes be, you know, worth its weight in gold, if I can use that expression. Totally. So, you know, sometimes people say to me, oh, you know, but, um, you know, you've got to be able to make mistakes in life. And, and Richard Branson's one that I typically will go back to and go, yeah, okay, but, you know, you look at Richard Branson and he's done extremely well, you know, fascinating personality. But have you got the capacity to go belly up like four times? Yeah. All right. So, and yeah. most people just would not be and, able to bounce back. And bounce that. back. Yeah. That's, the, that's the key, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Look, I know in my own experience, um, you know, having a mentor and coach, um, you can't look at it as a, as a weekly or a, or a day-to-day thing. It's, it's when you look back and go, where was I 10 years ago? Where am I now? Not just in my finances, but in other areas of my life. If I didn't have that accountability, if I didn't have that, that mentoring, if I didn't have that goal setting, uh, would I be where I am now? And uh, yeah, it's a definite no for me. You know, it's it's been it's been quite effective for me. Yeah, I definitely uh, look. It is, uh, but I don't think the one coach can suit everyone. You know, like I, th- I do think that there's a personality mix here that you sure. have to find the right person that's offering the right level of service for the right price. Um, and you know, and not that price is everything, but it, it is important. If you're earning, um, you know, an average wage, then you can't really afford, you know, a, a coach that might. Um, pitch to the stars, you know, like yeah. you, you've got to find somebody that suits you, all right? So, but, yeah, look, I, I just, 
I, I just think it helps me stay more um, more rounded or balanced in terms of how I approach things. Yeah. So look, I mean, you know, Help My Wealth is 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 very much looking at um, coaching and mentoring around uh, wealth creation and around a balanced way of viewing viewing money. Um, you know, from your point of view, um, you know, what do you think people are going to gain uh, by actually joining Help My Wealth in regards to mentoring? So I think, you know, the balance of this is that this service is not about um, a, a heavy load of mentoring. Yeah. It, it's 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 customisable. It, it's, you know, but it ultimately it's about um, taking people, providing the right information and, and instilling the, okay, if you want to achieve this, if this is important to you, this is what we need to do. All right. So, so I think it's really important that it's, it's clear, it's concise, it's to the point. So, and, uh, and, you know, and and so hopefully you you get this, I guess, blast or, you know, quick deep dive into, okay, this is what I need to do. All right. So, um, but ultimately, you know, it's about the decisions we make personally to embrace that and actually enact the changes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think it's also about accountability too, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's about saying to that person, this is a budget that, that, that I want. Mm. This is a budget that I'm setting for myself. Let's come back in a month or two's time and actually see whether or not that's been achieved. Yep. You know, uh, because when you know someone's going to be looking at it other than you, mm. uh, it does change the way in which you, you make that decision. You know, should I buy that widget? Or should I not buy it right now? Because I know that in two months' time I'm going to be looking at the budget and that $400 widget is probably going to affect that. Uh, yeah, and, and and look, I think one of the principles that we're working on here is it's a bit like that saying, you know, give a man a fish and he'll eat a meal. Yeah. Um, teach him how to fish and he'll, he'll eat for life, you know. Yep. So, so this is about, you know, teaching people uh, the skills required to then be self-starting on this. Yeah. And I think it's important to note as well, like you said, it's not a, uh, you know, a heavy mentoring, heavy coaching concept uh, because that carries a heavy price tag. You know, when you involve a person and you're asking a person to spend hours of their, you know, month to to coach and mentor you, then there's a cost that comes with that. Mm. So a bit like the financial planning, you know, Help My Wealth has gone radio. We're, we're trying to fill a, an area of the market here where people are wanting to get the information they need, have the coach they need, have the support they need, but at the right price. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So look, um, you know, in your own time, like what, what do you have found to be some of the most common myths around um, financial planning and mortgage broking? I mean, you know, do people often look at you and assume something that's not not true? Um, yeah, I think, you know, for financial advice, there's still a, probably a, a, a bit of a, a myth that we're there to sell a product. Yeah. All right. So, you know, oh, you're the super guy or you're the insurance guy or, or whatever, whereas um, these days financial advice is more around the strategy. Right? Yeah. So it's it's actually thinking through a whole range of things. And I, I quite often say to people, like a, a financial advisor is a little bit like a, a, a doctor, mm. right, so as in a GP, right? Mm. So we're not we're, – we're a bit of a generalist, you know. We, we know a lot about a lot of topics. Sometimes we need specialists, um, but we're not really um, – uh, you, you know, we're not there to to be the, the everything for you, if that mm. makes sense, where that can be a bit of an issue as well. Financial planners can specialise. Mm. Um, so, 
I think with mortgage brokers, um, you know, you can tend to find that, you know, people don't understand that we're really trained to deal with loans and bank accounts. Yeah. Uh, so we're not really there for credit cards or, mm. um, you know, some brokers will specialise in personal loans, others won't. Um, so it's not really a, you know, um, it's a, everything finance. It's, you know, you, you've got to really ask the broker, what do you do, what don't you do, and, mm. and, and sort of take it from there. Mm. Um, in Plus, I was going to say these days, with especially with the Royal Commission, you know, there's a lot of stri- restrictions and, and, and structures around what you can and can't offer. So, for instance, people will sometimes say, "Oh, financial planners are just wanting to sell insurance." But if uh, someone has, uh, you know, insurance in their super fund, to be able to move them to a new product, it's it's not as simple as just going, "Yeah, I'm going to move you here." No, absolutely. This is not like car insurance. It's yeah. it's it's it's. It's a lot more work. All right. Yeah, but so, you've also got to prove that, that that moving them is is a value to the client. You correct. can't just say, oh, I'm moving you from ABC to, you know, FJI because I get paid more from FJI than I do from ABC. That is not actually possible. Yeah, and look, you know, whether we can do that in this podcast or whether we've got to leave it to another one, I, I you know, there is so much around that that mm. is um, it's good that there's been more structure put in place. It's a little bit painful sometimes because you just want to be able to help somebody but yes. you, you realize oh no i'm going outside of my um realm of experience here so so it can be tricky at times um so um the other thing i think is really important and this can be a big difference between the two is is understanding that mortgage brokers typically work for commissions yeah all right so you know so um, I would say most brokers would say, I'm here to look after the client, all right? So, but ultimately, they only get paid if you do a deal with them, mm. all right? Mm. So, so, if you don't get a loan, no, there's no, so if, there's no so money you, coming. So, if you go in asking for all this advice without any intention of having a loan, mm. there's, there's a good chance you're going to get the wrong experience out of that because it just won't work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that can be an issue at times as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, for you, what, what do you reckon is the most important lesson you've learned through your professional job, like through being a, a mortgage broker or financial planner? Uh, what was your aha moment? That people are important. Yeah. Right. So, and look, that sounds funny, but, you know, whether it's staff or whether it's clients, you know, and, and it, it just, it, it's it's so important relationships, yep. right? Looking after people, putting the right time in, um, you know, having their best interests at heart is just to me. I'm continually reminded that, you know, I've had people ring me that I haven't talked to for ten years, right? That have come back and say, I still remember what advice you gave me. Um, do you mind if I refer my sister to you or, yes. or something like that? Yes. Um, and you know, I, I love it. I love that. We, we have this ability to have this impact on people. Yeah, and we've talked about it before. You're, you're, whether you're a mortgage broker or a financial planner, you're dealing with people's greatest financial assets. Mm. And so there's a lot of emotion, a lot of heart, a lot of planning, a lot of future hope that's tied up in those you know, investments or in those, in those products. And, um, you know, you've said it to me before that uh, – it's interesting. I think you have made the idea of communication a bit of a um, a hobby or an interest for yourself. You know, you're very careful how you communicate with people, and you're also. I've noticed that you spend a lot of time trying to uh, tease out of people what they're actually wanting. Mm. 
Uh, look, yeah, absolutely. I, I And I think part of that comes from, um, you know, it's a little bit like financial literacy. You know, if you said to me, are we taught the English language? I would mm. say, yeah, we're taught grammar and words and mm. how to spell things and all the rest of it. But if, if you said to me, are we really taught how to communicate? Um, so I would say no. Mm. Um, uh, there's a book I, I love. It's called Everyone Communicates But Few Connect yep. um, by John Maxwell. And I find that a really powerful um, sort of topic in general because there is just such a, um, a need for us to be able to push through that that um, almost that superficial barrier that we all have up around, yes. okay, I'll, I'll get to know you but only so much. Yes, and, and I think for an individual, we don't even know ourselves or what we, what we want ourselves sometimes. You know, we say, how often have you had per, one person say one thing but they actually are meaning something else? Yeah. You know, or they say, this is my goal, I want to achieve this, but they actually are really meaning that they, they want to achieve this. Yeah, one of my favourite responses from people when you start getting into things like that is, oh, I've never really thought about it from that perspective that's interesting you know something yes. like that because and you know you've sort of broken through there a little bit and got yeah. them to really start thinking about what it is that's going on yeah and it only gets more complicated when there's a partner involved mm. because you know i i do love that analogy you, you've mentioned to me before and that is is that both both couples like both people in the in the couple they have the same end goal whatever that is. We want this much by retirement. We want to be able to live, you know, a life with some freedom and some choices. We want whatever it is they want. It tends to be the same end goal, but how they're going to get there can be vastly, vastly different. And so to try to bring them in on the page, um, and what I love about what you do is that for you, tying in that end goal is so important so that you can keep saying to them, uh, I, I know we're really far apart right now, <laughs> But but you know you're 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 going from A B C D to get to E and and this person's going you know D B C to get to E but in the end we all want to get to E and, and that's been actually you know a bit of a goal for you to learn how to you know talk people around to that yeah and 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 we typically start talking about the goals um, almost in the wrong way mm. you know, so quite often what I say to people is look think of whether it's super or shares or property or whatever they're tools yeah all right so so the goal is different yeah so you know typically we we want um, safety we want comfort we want peace you know we want those things and and it's it's about saying well what tools and what timing do we need to be able to get to those mm. those those destinations mm. um so and you know in most couples i wouldn't say all but i'd say a good chunk of couples you talk to um you know usually one um you know is more of that um safety is more important Mm. And and one there's almost thrill is more important. <laughs> it's funny how we we tend to attract the opposite person, isn't it? Oh, look, absolutely. You know, I know when I'm doing property, we look at um, uh, risk, you know, sort of assessments. It's amazing how often people are not both balanced. Mm. You know, one is risk adverse, and uh, one is really happy to, you mm. know, fly by the seat of their pants. You know, burning as they uh, as they go through the gate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, as we talk about in our modules, we're shaped by our experiences. Yes. So, you know, the person that safety is important, um, when you dig into it, sometimes they want safety for the right reasons, but sometimes their, their version of safety is actually 
not safety. Mm. And 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 so trying to tease that out and get them to explore what it means to, to feel safe is 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 important as well. well I had a great example of that where yeah, a client who um they were so risk averse and they were so big on being safe and being balanced that they couldn't make decisions. But their lack of decision making has actually created an unbalanced, uh, you know, a higher risk situation, which is the opposite of what they want. Uh, but getting into a point of going, do you see that you're, you're pushing off that decision has created this environment that you're actually unhappy with? And once you point that out to them, you can see they sort of go, oh, it's not yeah, what I was hoping to achieve. Yeah, I think they call it opportunity cost. It's understanding the alternative um, mm. and trying to compare the two, which um, can be a bit tricky at times, but, yeah. Mm. Um, so. so, Hamish, uh, something we always like to ask all of our guests is um, if you could go back and talk to your 18-year-old self, what sort of advice would you give them with all the knowledge that you've had both professionally and personally over the last few years? Um, I say a few years. Yeah, but. a few years, that's right. <laughs> so, look, I, I think my favourite saying is the story is not finished yet. Yep. Um, and so I think that, you know, especially for a young person or earlier in life, you know, that that just keep going. Yeah. You know, the story is not finished yet. It might not feel like life's going according to plan at the moment, but the story is not finished yet. It, it is a thing, isn't it? I know when I was young, every bump, every issue, it felt like it was the end of the world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look back and you go, yeah, that was hard, but you get through it. But it's, it's hard to have that attitude, isn't it, when you're when you're 18, that's mm. for sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah, look, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think... Um, you know, when you think through that that sort of analogy or that 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 statement, you know, it, it does. It just sort of goes, okay, keep pushing, keep pushing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. like what is it, the little caboose that could? <laughs> I thought it was a little train, but <laughs> hey, we can go with caboose. <laughs> so look, another thing I like to ask my guests is, um, if you're going to write a book, you know, what would the title be? What would you, what would you write a book on? Would it be on finances? Would it be on something else? What would you what would you do? Um, look, in all honesty, um, probably what I'd like to be able to write about is um, is just uh, stories about clients. Yes. Uh, and uh, is that and, legal? Yeah. Well, not really. <laughs> um, so, but the reason for that is is and obviously I would keep people's stories anonymous. But yes. you know, it's there's so much power in oh, being yes. able to talk through yes. um, what um, what you know that, that you're not the only one going through this. Yeah. Um, so, and I must admit, that's what I actually enjoy. I enjoy those stories of other businesses and other people that have done things and seen their highs and lows and, and they've still been able to get there wherever there is. It was Mark Twain who said that um, uh, reality or life is stranger than fiction. Mm. You know, he made the comment once that um, uh, the stories that he had heard that had happened to real people, if he wrote those as uh, novels, people wouldn't believe it. They'd mm. say it's, an, it's, a, it's a not, not a very believable book mm. uh, because often often those real experiences are, are stranger and, and you know different yeah. um, but but so important I don't know if you've ever read the book by Jeffrey Archer cat of nine tails when he was in jail mm. and um, he actually ended up writing uh, you know the the uh, nine short stories I think it was on um, on people's real like he got permission obviously changed their names and whatever else but on different things they, they did and what he'd heard in, in jail mm. and 
you know, reading that, all his other books are all fiction, you know, but reading that book, knowing that he was actually writing about a real story, mm. it had a, a higher impact, I think, mm. when you're going, wow, this was a real person that mm. he met who was in jail because of this event that, you know, happened in their life, you know? Yeah, I think most of us, I, I don't know, most of us, I think, we actually have stories that are worth telling. Totally. Um, so, and and you know, I think it's a, a guy Matt Church that, that that talks about this in in a in a book, you know, where he basically says, you know, people can't argue with your story. You know, it's your story. No, no that it's true. It's right. your story. So, it's what happened. And and you know, we might think our stories are boring. All right. So, but um, ultimately, um, you know, people we can learn from each other. Mm. Yeah. Now, look, when we say that and we talk about stories being boring, I have a sneaking suspicion that you have a good story. Uh, something about uh, being naked, Prime Minister's bedroom, yeah. you know, water. Look, if, if I was going to put something, you know, in the Dibbix bookshore or something like that, then, you know, like <laughs> it, it would it would start off with, let me tell you when I was naked with the Prime Minister's wife. Now, that is, mm. is that the title of the book or just the chapter? Uh, look, it, it could be chapter three. <laughs> You know, so, but maybe it'd go come on the front page somewhere just because it'd sell. Yeah, well, yeah, and and uh, I would like people to know this is a uh, this is a true story, but you better explain it, or, or we'll have uh, we'll have complaints. Yeah, well, the missing piece of information in here is that I was ten at the time. Right? So, <laughs> and it was uh, it was when uh, Malcolm Fraser was in power. All right, so so we're going back a while, and uh, essentially. I fell into the, the, the fish pond at the lodge. All right, so as you do when you're ten yeah, years old, absolutely. So, <laughs> um, so whilst the rest of my class, because it was a school uh, event, yes. was you know downstairs, you know, um, lunching with, yeah, the, absolutely. with the prime minister, I was upstairs in prime minister's bedroom. Um, you know, being stripped down by his wife so that I could have my clothes cleaned and uh, sent sitting off to in, the, Sitting in his robe. Yeah, look, absolutely. Just, you know, and, and being brought up, you know, some scraps and morsels. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think at the time a 10-year-old would have been very upset that he wasn't downstairs luncheoning with the Prime Minister. No. But, uh, you know, older Hamish does like to be able to say, uh, did I ever tell you about the time that I was... Naked in the Prime Minister's bedroom with his wife wearing his robe. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I think that really does encompass the Mark Twain concept that uh, you know fact is stranger than fiction sometimes, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So now the whole world knows. Now the whole world knows. Mm. Well, our listeners know anyway. And you know we're a community, and they love you. Yeah, so it's absolutely. all good. Look, Hamish, thank you for coming. I really appreciate you having us guest on our show. I very much appreciate what you wrote for us on the Help My Wealth modules in regards to investments. Um, you know, it was very insightful and um, I'm looking forward to seeing other modules you write for us over time. But mm. look, we just appreciate it and thank you for all that you've done for us. Oh, uh, look, and and it's a community effort, you know, like you talk about community, but, you know, without the other professionals actually doing it on its own, it, it, it wouldn't have very no. much value. No, that's right. Mm. That's right. It's bringing that all together that mm. actually makes it, makes it effective, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for coming. And thank you all for listening. As always, at Help My Wealth, we're about empowering your financial journey. Today we've done that by talking to Hamish uh, about life and investments and financial planning and so forth. I hope it's been helpful for you. Uh, if it has, please like and follow our podcast. Uh, as always, in the notes, if you want to go to Help My Wealth, there are links there for you to be able to go and see what services are that you can actually utilise for yourself. Otherwise, we'll see you again next time. And thank you for joining us. Thank you.
the information discussed by the Help My Wealth and the Money Rules, Money Rules podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is generally nature and it is not advice. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. It is aimed to provide a general understanding of each topic and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. It is strongly suggested that you seek professional advice regarding your own individual circumstances before making a financial decision. Help My Wealth and the hosts of the Money Rules and Money Rules podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. In the spirit of reconciliation, Help My Wealth and the Money Rules or Money Rules podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to past, present and emerging elders. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.